Okay, so get ready for a conversation that you're going to have so many takeaways from. I just spent the last hour speaking with Helen and Sarah. They're the co-founders of the incredible Amazing If, and it's a career development company, but with a difference. And don't you always remember thinking about the career ladder? And has have we ever really thought about how a ladder is very linear and thin and not many people can get onto it. I don't think I ever did. So this conversation, I think I knew these things fundamentally, but my goodness, to hear the articulation of why careers are not linear anymore and how we've got to rewire and have a squiggly career was completely refreshing. So make sure you share this with anybody who is in a corporate life who you believe needs to do a bit of rewiring because this is just going to blow their mind. Get your notepad ready and enjoy. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table. And since then, I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses. And I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Adobe, who've helped bring this podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hello, both. Such a pleasure to be speaking to you. Um, Last time, it was a little while ago now that I spoke to you, Helen, on the Squiggly Careers podcast. I had such a nice time with you. Um, But today you're both joining me, Helen and Sarah, on my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. So welcome. Thank Thank you you so much for having us. So Sarah and Helen, you're the founders of Amazing If. And for anyone that doesn't already know, It's an award-winning careers development company. You have a brilliant podcast, I would say that, (laughs) being on it and things like that, but it is absolutely fantastic. You run phenomenal courses and you're the authors of the best-selling books, The Squiggly Career, and also here, I've got it here, You Coach You. And for those who can't see it, they did this really clever thing where they have a cover wrapped around the book and it says, Holly Coach Holly. So I absolutely love it. Love this. Tell me, your mission is to make work and careers better for everyone. Sarah, might you tell me about this? And I know it's absolutely fundamental to the brand that you and Helen have built together. That's almost the the holy grail, is it? Yeah, I think I've I've heard you talk about values before, Holly. And I think one of the values that drives us every day in everything that we do is useful. Now, useful doesn't sound like a very glamorous value, but when we really thought about what we want to do and the difference that we want to make, we really want to be useful for people in their careers. And I think often careers can feel stressful, overwhelming. We know there's lots of choice and uncertainty for people to navigate 
but there's also lots of opportunity. And I think we are so used to maybe going to school, learning in a certain way and kind of almost thinking, well, learning equals going on a course or maybe waiting to be told what to do or where to go in our career. That one of the things that we Mm -hmm. really want to change is people's ability to feel like they can help themselves in their own career. Because we know we've worked with people all across the world. I know everyone can do this for themselves. People will often write to us and say, oh, thank you, this has been amazing, or this has really helped, this podcast episode really helped me in this interview. And my response to them is always, you've done all the hard work. We maybe gave you 5%. We maybe gave you the nudge that you needed, an idea for action, Mm. a tool to try out. So I think we are hopefully a really useful catalyst for people's careers. And then I think once people get started, they just continue to fly and to help themselves and even better when they then start to help other people. So this whole thing about people helping people in our careers, this is not a zero-sum get some game. If I win in my career, Helen loses, or if Holly wins in her business, mm. then mm. we lose in our business. I think there is enough space for everyone to succeed in their squiggly careers. Um, and I hope that we can help people to do that by being very practically useful. Yeah, and that's the thing I always get from everything that you do. It's so female in a way. It's so practical. (laughs) There is no time to waste. I'm just going to go back a little bit on the start of your journeys together. I was um, reading about when you both first met and it was at Nottingham Uni and you were on the same business course. Helen, I heard it was a bit of a last minute decision for you to take the course and that you thought the other students were a little Richard Branson wannabes, (laughs) uh, which really made me laugh because I actually completely knew what you were talking about. (laughs) Talk about that meeting and what you mean by this Richard Branson wannabes? Well, actually, that was Sarah, not me. I think Sarah was referring to me. I think Sarah probably thought that I was one of these Richard Branson wannabes. And then ultimately, I went to go and work for Richard Branson. So maybe maybe she was right, but that was not... Yeah, she she was predicting something there. (laughs) However, I I think we both remember that point of time in our lives slightly differently because we were coming at it from slightly different perspectives. So I went on to a university course that I had planned for and aimed for and to be honest absolutely loved Sarah went on a university course with probably a bit of a hesitation not sure if it was the right thing and had a different experience through it all and I think that for us our friendship actually quite surprisingly formed through all of that because we came to it for different reasons and because we had different experiences we were sort of having this sort of learning experience in parallel so it probably would have been quite easy for us to leave university and to never talk to each other again like but there was something particularly in the last year of that course that connected us and it was it was really all about it was all about learning it was about um sort of like a love of learning and a curiosity and an openness to learning from other people And it was in the last year of university that I spotted that Sarah was particularly good at something that I wasn't. And so I reached out to Sarah to ask for her help, which I think as a theme generally in careers takes a bit of bravery. Like it takes a bit of bravery to go, you know, I'm not good at this. I can see you're better. Please, could you help me? And then I think it takes generosity from another person, Sarah, in this instance to go, yeah, sure, I'll help you. And so there was this, when Sarah talked about that people helping people point being, you know, a real foundation for our business, it is also the foundation of our friendship because that point in time when I asked Sarah and she gave me her help was the point that really we started to connect Mm. and our friendship started in that and our growth went from there. So we stayed connected after university, even though our careers went and did different things, we continued to help and support each other with absolutely no idea that we were at one (laughs) 
point in time I'm going to start a business. But yeah, university was, I think, yeah, both of us had very, I, I really loved it. I think Sarah found it hard at times. I'm much more of an introvert, Holly. And I think um, it, was yes. a, it was a course that attracted lots of extroverts, including my very brilliant co-founder. And uh, I, I, I nearly left the course. So I found it that difficult that mm. I, I was originally going to go and study philosophy or sociology. So quite different to business management. And I had a last minute panic that I wasn't going to get a job. And I come from a background where that was going to be important. I, I knew I needed to sort of yes. be able to fund myself and be independent. And suddenly I thought it's too much of a luxury for me to go and study those subjects. I need to go and do something more practical, which is sort of how I found myself on that course. Now, ultimately, I don't think I necessarily... That, that wasn't necessarily true, but that's certainly the story that I was telling myself at, at 18. Um, so I sort of swerved and squiggled very early from what I was going to do to this very practical, very vocational course. Um, but I would never regret it because without that, without that course, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have Helen and I wouldn't have a job that I absolutely love doing with a person who I learn from every day. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, number one, an extrovert and an introvert and obviously we have quality, we have all the qualities actually within us. It's just what presents mm. itself at different times, isn't it? And I, when I talk to, you know, your founders and obviously I built Not on the High Street with a founder, Sophie and Holly and Co with Carrie and Gabby and they're introverts and it, all, all these sorts of things. And it's quite an amazing mix when you do get those two things, two extroverts, two introverts. You know, I do call it like a perfect formula, even though obviously <laughs> life isn't just perfect. But also I'm interested that you call it the Richard Branson's wannabes. And I think that that was quite an interesting observation because potentially, you know, that's maybe why the imposter syndrome follows us later on down the line, because when you come from having a degree in something and especially business, let's just say, and, and others who just come into it from a passion and just a natural curiosity to be faced with others who have gone and pursued business and potentially want Necker Island at the end. And <laughs> you're just like, I just like a lovely little holiday maybe. And, you know, <laughs> in, in, in Cornwall, that's fine. Do you feel that that maybe business generally, and we're going to just talk about now where you then went on to, which is the corporate life, so to speak. Do you think generally though, business is caught with that reputation? Is it why people feel so full of, doubt or do you think that we jump on that as an excuse because actually building any career building anything you're going to have doubt mm. do you know what I mean because I've I think that that potentially I'm interested always in moving the conversation forward and I'm wondering if maybe that that's an old-fashioned thing to think? Yeah, there are two brilliant women who I think have a more progressive view of fear and doubt that I have found really useful. So there is a psychologist called Susan David, and she says we should use our doubts as data. Now, we would add to that and say you should use your doubts as data for your development. Mm -hmm. And alongside that, when I interviewed a brilliant um, female CEO, she now sits on the board of John Lewis, Rita Clifton, and she wrote a book about imposter syndrome. And she, oh, she yeah. says... I, she's been on my Oh, podcast, brilliant. Actually, so, yes. Rita, um, the thing that I always really remember about what she said to me is everyone just needs to make friends with their fears because we all mm. have them and it's part of what makes us human. The challenge is if we let them get in our way. We sometimes talk about it as like your confidence gremlins. If your confidence gremlins are getting in your way and they are holding you back from doing what you want to do, 
that's a problem. But actually accepting that we all have them, like that's something that we almost all have in common. And so I do think it's a reframe from a mindset and a skill set perspective. Like what is our relationship with these doubts that we all have? Okay, well, I'm going to make friends with those and I'm actually just going to use them to propel me forward. I'm going to challenge them. I'm going to cage those gremlins. It's a bit like I was, for years, I had um, a confidence gremlin. I'm not good at numbers. Almost to the point where I was thinking I could never run a business because I'm not good at numbers, any number. And I had just sort of labelled myself in this way, all because I wasn't good at maths at school. And I wasn't, I wasn't very good at maths. And so it's yeah. so interesting how we sort of make ourselves smaller then because those stories really stick. That sort of un- unhelpful chatter kind of really stays in our mind. I think then when we start to kind of break that down and kind of go really challenge that assumption, because those beliefs do feel very real for us and kind of go, okay, well, what examples have you got of when you have been good at numbers? When do you use numbers in your job today? Start to be more specific and just figure out what those reframes look like. For a while, I wouldn't apply for a job in corporate land if the words corporate acumen were in the job spec because I, I was too mm. scared. I would go, oh, I'd really love to do that job. But though the words commercial acumen scare me, once I then started to figure out, OK, I'm, I'm going to make friends with this fear and I'm going to use that doubt as data for my development. I went on to do jobs where I was head of corporate responsibility for Sainsbury's who donate 60 million pounds a year to charity. So I, I was responsible for like There's a number. that much money. And if you say that, I still kind of take a bit of a deep breath. I looked after things like uh, part of Sainsbury's, like Nectar Scheme, loads of the community schemes that they did. The numbers were kind of mind-boggling because I, I do believe big businesses can have a really positive impact if, if they want to do to do that. And I saw that. I saw the reality of that. But if you had told me like 10 years beforehand that I could go on to do those yes. jobs, I would have said absolutely You would just, just listen to your math teacher right I would. It's, it's I mean the amount of story the the, the women and math I mean <laughs> this is just one of these things that plague us I want to you both left uni and Sarah you went on to a career in marketing and leading corporate responsibility teams as you said at Barclays mm-hmm. Sainsbury's and Helen you've held leadership roles in Microsoft Virgin BP so you both have had these pretty big careers a few years later you kept in contact you were working in respective jobs at you sort of you came together again and this squiggly career light bulb started. Was that because you were unhappy or did you know you had more in you? Yeah, yeah, that it was the more in us thing. I think yeah. at that point in time, I'd, I'd recently started at Virgin. So Sarah had been working in London and based in London for quite a while. And because of the global job I'd been doing with BP, I'd been all over the place, to be honest. And that, and that job had taught me a lot about what I was good at and what I didn't want to do. And I learned a lot in that. In that there were some ups and downs yeah. in that role for me. And I came out of it with this sort of sense of clarity and motivation and excitement because I was, I was you know, working in Virgin. The, the Richard Branson thing had finally happened. And Sarah and I, all through the squiggles to that point in our career, the thing that had remained constant was, as I said, that, that learning thing. And also just this passion for work. I honestly think Sarah and I are a bit weird about work we really like work and we really like careers Mm -hmm. and we really like learning and development and we came together to share some of the insights that we had got about our work some of the insights we'd got about mentoring other people and there was a particular conversation in Paddington in 2012 where we sat having a cup of tea and we brought all these insights together and I think what we realized was that 
even though our careers hadn't been quite what we expected it to be back at university, we were really happy. We were doing work that Mm -hmm. we'd loved and we were learning and it looked different to what we thought it might, but it was brilliant. And we were sort of reflecting on, well, why is that? What, What have we developed that's enabled that to happen? And there was a whole host of reasons for that. But we also reflected on the people that now work for us because we were now managers and we were mentoring lots of people. There was a little bit of a disconnect in their development. So they were experiencing the same reality as us. Their jobs didn't look like they expected. They were full of change. But we were going... And isn't that amazing because there's loads of opportunity? And they were saying, I'm finding this really hard. I don't know what to do about my development. And we were thinking, well, well how, how can we close this gap? Wouldn't it be amazing if everyone could love their job, which was, which was really like the, the genesis of our business, yes. Amazing If. And Sarah sort of drew on this napkin and said, well, you know, careers now aren't linear. They're like a squiggle. And it was, it was something in the squiggle on the napkin and the insight that there was some kind of disconnect that was going on with development where lots of people were experiencing the squiggliness, but they couldn't get the support that they needed that made us think, well, let's just go do something together. Like we don't necessarily have all the answers, but we do have a lot of energy and passion for this. And we have tried a lot of stuff out. So let's just give it a go. And that was the starting point for it all. I love it. And you've got behind you a squiggle on the wall. And I also, you know, I think there's like, people think it's a myth the napkin exists. I remember (laughs) talking to Michael Acton-Smith, the genius behind Firebox. And then he went to uh, create the phenomenon Moshi Monsters, if we all remember that. And then he's got on just that little app called Calm um, (laughs) that he's gone on to develop. The phenomenal guy. And it all starts on napkins for him. You know, that, that's the, that it's such a clear point. If you can write what you're going to do till the end of your career on a napkin, in a way, that's your vision. And then you spend your whole life just trying to get it to the napkin, I suppose, speak. It's quite uh, refreshingly simple, isn't it? Just to think about that. But where, there you were really identifying within the corporate world, actually, And of course, other people now can use it outside of that. But you were like looking in this corporate world saying, this linear line, the ladder, you know, that's all we thought about, wasn't it? There was just this snakes and ladders, one ladder (laughs) that just goes up. That's all we were going to do. And the snake wasn't what we wanted to do. But actually, your squiggle is far more the snake, isn't it, than the ladder. You were working out, you were looking at people going, we've got to rewire our brains. You need to be looking for opportunity in everything And it's not necessarily the way you've been taught. What are those fundamental things? I think there's one which is ditch the ladder, but you've got other ones like discover opportunity. And and I then want to talk about the responsibility because I think that this leads to you being responsible for you rather than potentially, am I right in feeling that maybe the other people underneath you were going, so I'm waiting for you to do this for me you know, which is a bigger subject, right? (laughs) Just generally, that is a bigger subject. Tell me about those fundamental things like ditching ladder, discovering opportunity, because that seems to be the sort of foundations of everything that you're building. Yeah, we call it squiggly swaps. So we think that the words that we are all using when we talk about our careers to each other, to our managers, and the words that we hear in our organisations frame our thinking. So if we hear about career plans, if we get asked in interviews, where do you see yourself in five years' time? 
Nobody can answer that question. That is an impossible to answer question. We should get rid of that question in interviews. Yeah. And and so one of the things that we would love people to do is replace this idea of a career plan that's like um, linear and predictable and like a blueprint almost for your career with instead being curious and exploring possibilities. Of course, we don't want to leave our careers to chance. They're way too important for that. And you spend much too much time at work to think, oh, I'm just going to hope for the best. Yeah. But actually, this idea of possibilities opens up, well, I'm going to continually learn. I'm going to make sure I've got kind of an infinite learning loop, always be work in progress, be really open, be adaptable. So we think possibilities are more helpful than plans. We think rather than focusing on job titles, instead, it's much more useful and motivating to think about the talents that we've got. So a job title... Mm tells a very small part of your story in terms of what you've got to offer. And also, I never understand anyone's job titles anymore because they're sort of all over the place right. and there's new jobs all the time. What's an executive? Some places that's yeah. running the show and some places it's that's making the job. tea. Yeah, and so... Yeah, well, yeah, I was a junior, junior executive. <laughs> yeah. you know, and I had the job of the post <laughs> the post each day, so yes. So I think, you know, stop worrying about job titles. And I, I think that's easy to say, but hard to do because mm-hmm. we wrap our status up in job titles. And, you know, I, I remember thinking how hard it is to kind of let, let go of that. You know, even when I was leaving corporate land, I think that's one of the things that kept me there for a bit longer is you wrap a lot of your identity and status up in those things because you've learnt those over often long periods of time. But it's our talents, it's our skills, it's our strengths. That's what makes us brilliant. Using those things, stretching our strengths as much as, you know, thinking about the new skills that we can get as well. That's what makes us brilliant. That's when we'll kind of do our best work. And then the final thing, and it's probably the biggest challenge that we work with organisations on, is moving away from this idea of, to progress, it equals promotion. So the only way to progress is you need to promote me. So progression equals promotion. Yes. Uh, decoupling that is is difficult because often organisations are structured in that way and our thinking is structured in that way. I've worked for you, Holly, in the last year. I feel like I've done a brilliant job. Uh, we can't help but our default to be, okay, well, what's the next? what's the next step? And even by saying step, it's like Mm. step up, it's staircase, it's ladder-like again. And so we're doing a lot of work with um, loads of companies at the moment on this idea of just progression. And we can progress in so many different directions. We are all motivated to grow and we want people to be really ambitious for where their careers could take them. Sometimes people think, oh, squiggly careers, are we saying don't be ambitious? The exact opposite. I'm saying be more ambitious, learn more more new skills, think about different opportunities. And we're doing lots of work about how people can squiggle and stay. Mm. So within organisations, so often if you want to do something different, you feel like you have to look to leave. About 65, 70% of people feel like, oh, well, I'm in marketing. I want to go and work in corporate responsibility. I'm going to have to leave. I, ca- I can't do that in my current organisation. Right, yes. Whereas actually organisations want to keep people. Often people want to stay because they're enjoying it. Maybe there's a good fit with people and values, but they just want to develop, broaden their skill set, or they want to develop in a different direction, or they just want to try something out. We got an email from someone in a food company last week who said she'd done some work uh, actually with Helen on progression. She'd been to some progression workshops and she moved from quite a technical job to working in HR for the first time in her career. And she's absolutely loving it. And she said, I would never have had the confidence to do that or to have those conversations if I'd not just really sort of almost zoomed out a bit and had a bit of perspective on what progression really means. The fact, you know, we're all going to be 
working for so long, most of us, retirement is becoming less of a thing. I think we're always going to work in different ways. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we have got to rethink this idea of growing and opportunity. And it's got to go way beyond just that equals a more senior job title or kind of one step up the ladder. And that's both an organisational challenge as well as an individual one. I was going to say that, that actually you need to have a, well, you must be dealing with this um, all the time, Helen. And, you know, like you need to have the environment in order to have that uh, philosophy in your career. There has to be the opportunities. I was When you were just talking there, Sarah, I was just thinking like, actually at Holly & Co, we... The reason we have job titles is because people, and luckily I haven't heard it for a while, and actually anyone that did speak about uh, their CVs and that they need the job titles, funny enough, aren't with us anymore. Because, And that's not a bad thing. It's just that that was important to them. Whereas actually those who are with us today, I don't think I know what their job titles are. Now, I'm sure I gave them one, (laughs) by the way, when we employed them. But I don't know what they are. I don't know what mine is. You know, sometimes it'll be CEO, sometimes founder, sometimes cheap. You know, do you want know I mean? Like, I don't know. Now, that's because we have our own company. But there is a looseness in it because actually it's all about what's coming through our door. Do you fancy a go at that? Does that tickle your fancy? Mm-hmm. And someone says, actually, it does. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing here, but I'm going to go and give it a go because I've got this skill, this skill, this skill to do that. Just going back to that, Helen, that's quite taking responsibility, though, for I would like to think that everyone in my team is responsible. As I say, I'm not your mother. Like, I'm not going to literally do your career for you. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you want something, you need to go and forge ahead and and get it. Do you think that this is a new mindset that we've got to take? Yeah, absolutely. I think for this to work really effectively, I think you have to get three things happening together. So you have to have a mindset that is open to learning and curious and and sort of recognises that we're all work in progress. So there's that sort of bit that's really fundamental. You've then got to have the skill set. So First of all, I've got a mindset where I believe I can grow and improve. Then I've Mm -hmm. got the skill set that I can go and take the ownership. But then you also need to do it in a culture that supports it. So Mm -hmm. when those three things work together, we are in sort of the squiggly career sweet spot. But what Mm -hmm. we also find is that there are different levels of squiggly career readiness. And that is absolutely fine. So there might be somebody who actually is right at the start of this journey. They need a lot of support with mindset. They're a little bit fixed. Maybe they've worked in an organisation for quite a long time. Maybe they're brand new to the world of work. But for whatever reason, they're a little bit fixed about what their future looks like and what they think they can do. They're Sarah saying, well, I can't do a job with numbers. I can't, that's just not possible. Mm -hmm. I don't have that ability. So maybe that's someone who's really early on in kind of that squiggly career readiness. Or then you might have somebody who is like Sarah and me when we had that conversation back in 2012, loving work, willing to invest in it. And we just need to keep stretching ourselves. We need to take those strengths that we want to be known for and think about how we can use them in different places. We need to really accelerate and increase our possibilities. And so it's absolutely fine for people people to be in different places and at different sort of levels of readiness we just have to recognize that and to give people the support they need you know when they need it that the problem with that whole ladder-like way of learning is it assumed that when you got to the level then we'd unlock the next level of learning for you and so it's sort of level-based learning and it's it's not about that it's much more individual and it's much more situational and that's where you kind of have to give people access we want to sort of democratize development so it's not about 
levels and status and it's about you and what you need right now and our job is to make useful career development available to you when you need it but it was like that like if we go outside of your your business like actually it really was like that generations before us our parents our grandparents you know not only is it job for life but you know if I become the manager I then go on the manager's course Mm. And I do that for two years, roughly. And as long as I don't effort it up, you know, I'm going to be going on to the director. I'm going to become a director. And that is how we have maybe seen all the generations before us. It's not the generations after us that are going to be that. This is like, you know, what do they say? Eight careers that you're going to have within the space of time, the gig economy, the multi-hyphenated, you know, world. So we're sort of your business is maybe developed through, you're combining these, well, you're trying to figure it out, right? <laughs> the, 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 the two sides of all of this. But would you say, you know, I also think that there's something around money as well, you know, that you do believe, you know, fundamentally you're there, of course, you know, we're obsessed with our jobs because we love it, because it's expressing who we are and we get to work all those muscles. We're also looking to earn money. That's fundamentally what we're doing at work. The levels, though, in time, right, were brackets of salary rises. When I look at that squiggle behind you, Helen, is the squiggle going upwards in terms yeah, of money? Because we'll, we'll, a lot of people are going to be thinking that right now. But hang on a minute. Where's the pay rise? I want to go into HR. Is that just a sideway move? You know, is that because I think that's a lot of what why we link progression to new statuses because the new status has a new package yeah I think it's a really really good point so if kind of unpack it a little bit I'll draw on what Sarah said about talents but then also kind of career creativity I want to pull out a little bit as well so um, I guess the assumption that we're working is at the moment is uh, the ladder is all about well in theory the more senior you get the more steps Mm -hmm. you you go up the more money you earn Mm -hmm. and that that kind of progression is possible for everybody that is just not true because work is not that linear and there aren't that many steps on the ladder and there aren't enough steps for everyone to climb so right away if that's what we define as success it breaks down it's kind of a false promise really but if you go to what's the alternative option then sorry it's a false sorry could i just ask you the false promise is we all have the opportunity to go up the ladder because and make more money. Yeah. yeah. But actually the ladder is very thin, isn't it? Yes, There's only exactly a few people that. that can stand on that ladder. So that's what you're saying. So the, the even yeah. the mindset that we're going, jobs are the ladder and money is where we need to start to rewire before anything. Yeah. So we, what, are you saying it's not about just the money? Well, it's. I mean, I'm not trying to take the importance of money away. So because mm-hmm. for various people, it has different levels of importance. So I'll, so I'll, I'll hold, I'll kind of yep. hold on to okay. money is yep. an important motivator for people. In terms of the ladder being a false promise, the ladders are not as long as the careers that we are all going to lead. So average career yes. length, 41 years. There aren't 41 levels for people to climb, 41 steps for people to go up in an organisation. They're also, to your point, the ladder gets a lot narrower. We can't all fit on the steps. So the idea that everyone can succeed in the same way, it just breaks down. And so what you start to get is a lot of competition. So I stop Mm -hmm. collaborating with Sarah and I think, well, I have to beat you to be better than you to get that promotion. That's Mm -hmm. not great for company cultures. You get a lot of comparison. Well, why, why am I not where she is? What am I doing wrong? What's she doing different? And you get a lot of people losing confidence. So so it really 
frustrates me when I, I understand the motivation of money. I, I do, but I think, but there are different ways that you can go about it and, and the ladder will break down at some point for you. So the money is the motivator. Lots of different reasons why money is a motivator for people. Some people it's status, some people it's about security, um, some people it's kind of reward. There's, there's loads of different reasons and none of those are necessarily wrong. There are just different ways we can get to those outcomes. So the first thing I would say is, the point that Sarah mentioned about squiggly careers and your talents versus your titles, one of the biggest benefits that squiggly careers can give you is you can stretch your strengths in different directions. So if I can get clear on what I want to be known for, so let's say I want to be known for relationship building or, you know, you know, sales, whatever it is. If I can think about, well, if that's the talent I want to be known for, where else in my organisation is that what they need? Because if I can develop across my organisation and make that strength stronger, that becomes a much, much more valuable talent for my organisation. And people will invest in the talent, not the title. And you can take that title with you throughout your career. So like invest in the talents. That's where people yeah, will invest Yeah, it's a new title, you. isn't it? It's a title you've given yourself. Yes, yes. It's, it's saying, I am phenomenal at creating relationships with people and internal and external. I bring everyone together. They, they sort of call me the glue. I just do this naturally. This is what I'm good at. If you can do that across the board, ultimately, don't worry about the money. It will come. Yeah, because you become such an asset potentially to the company that no one wants you to go anywhere because now you're ingrained in everybody. I call it the sticky factor. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You've become yeah. so sticky, even though the people don't want you to stick to them, you have. Yeah. And so suddenly you've got to do that. Do you think, though, from that point of view, there is another element, which is in the, when I say squeakly career, it's not really... I'm referring to it as the ball of your squiggles that your career can be, is do you think when you look at maternity leave and balancing your career with children and looking sideways, not just straight ahead? So is there also elements that you believe that, you know, if you think about it, it was a long time ago, well, a lot, not that long ago, that balancing kids and your career would look be looking like you're stepping down. Mm. Yes, you 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 know, or maternity leave. You know, well, we all know what maternity leave and and what what happens there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Is there a new way of looking at this that can empower women? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think back to your point, Holly, about generations. I think with squiggly careers, sometimes people assume, oh, younger people will be better at navigating squiggly careers. And I don't think that's true. I think we see people being equally successful with their squiggly careers based on the mindset that they bring. Mm. And I see lots, I, I listen to and I hear and I connect with lots of women now who are even more ambitious for where their careers could take them because they are less prepared to compromise or to sort of say, well, I I feel like I have to do such a significant trade-off. And I think people now recognise I have got really transferable talents and I don't feel like I should, why should I opt out when this is something that could be really meaningful and kind of motivating for me? And though none of us would want the last couple of years to be repeated, what I think it has demonstrated and what we see in the most progressive companies is it's an opportunity to include more people in work because of the way that we now work. And so if you need to be at home two or three days of the week, or if you want to be fully remote or just flexible in sort of all of its different guises, then I think that is so much more possible than it has been before. And I Mm. think we are seeing 
the sort of uh, almost like a new equality in the relationship between employees and employers in the good places in the places that will attract the best people where people are now having these much more personalized conversations which are asking questions like well how do you want to work and what works best for you? And of course, there are moments where we might come together to collaborate, but not assuming one size fits all. So some people might want to work in one way and that might look very different to Helen as it does for me. Actually, Helen and I do work in quite in quite different ways. And so I think that is a is a positive. I think sometimes there are still, unfortunately, confidence challenges. I would get disappointed, but that is definitely still true. Whenever we run open workshops on confidence... I would say 80 to 90% of the people who come to those workshops are women. Mm. And I really wish that wasn't true. And that hasn't really changed over the past seven or eight years. Obviously, when we do work in organisations, you know, we've got very mixed groups and everybody finds it useful. And now some of that might be about self-awareness, which is a good thing. You know, I am self-aware enough to to realise that I want to cage my confidence gremlins. But also I, I can still see that sometimes that doubt and that imposter syndrome that you did talk about Perhaps people haven't quite got to that reframing of thinking, well, how could I transfer my talents? And just because perhaps I've not been working in the same way for the last couple of years, that doesn't mean that I couldn't now do something differently. Yeah. Um, and I think what is really powerful is when we hear people sharing their stories, sharing their stories of going back into companies, working in different ways. You know, when I worked in Sainsbury's, not only did I move from marketing to corporate responsibility, I then started to work a four-day week so that I could spend a day working on Amazing If. Now, that was a real anomaly at that time. This is six or seven years ago. I'd got no kids. I've now got one five-year-old. But at that time, people were like, but you haven't got any kids. And I was like, no, I just want to work flexibly. I want to work in a different way. And then there was that, does that mean you don't care about your job at Sainsbury's anymore? Yes. I was like, no, I care even more. I, I love my job at Sainsbury's. I've got no intention of going to run a company at the same time, but I do want a day where I can develop and see where Amazing If might take us. And I think I am a better employee if I can do both. That that It wouldn't work for loads of people, but it really worked for me. And I am confident I was a better employee because I could make that work. Now, at that time, what I would say, and I still think this is true to some extent, I had a brilliant boss. And I do still think, actually, I had two people who were very instrumental to my squiggle and stays at Sainsbury's. One person who believed in my transferable talents. So when I moved from marketing to corporate responsibility, I was promoted and I hadn't worked in corporate responsibility ever before. Right. So she was you know, crikey, did she believe in me? Um, and yeah, so, you know, she backed, she backed you. me. She completely backed me to, to do that job. And we talked really transparently about what I would bring, also what I'd need to learn. And it was a steep learning curve, but it was completely worth it. And then I had another leader who um, I'd prepared, honestly, it's so embarrassing now, like a 20-page PowerPoint on why working a four-day week was a good thing for Sainsbury's and a good thing for me. And to her credit, I got through slide one, and she went, Sarah, I'm just going to stop you there. I completely get it. I understand it. I can see why this is important to you. Let's talk about how we make this happen. And you're like, oh, but I've got 19 more slides. Um, <laughs> and so what I do see is, you know, for anyone listening, if you're leading teams, leading organisations, you can play such a positive and important role in supporting people's mm. careers. Of course, we want individuals to take accountability and ownership. We want you to create, don't wait, when it comes to your career. But I do think having the right people around you can be transformational in terms of your sort of 
you do the hard work and then you're sort of accelerated even further by those people. Certainly that has been true for me in my career. And I know I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if I hadn't had some of those brilliant people along the way. So if you spot those people, A, say thank yeah. you, stick to them, to, you know, to follow your advice and stick to those yeah. people because they can they can make such a big difference. I love that story. The, tell me about, um, Helen, the, this confidence thing. You know, you must both be seeing it. And I'm then going to touch on talking about how you've actually built your company. But this confidence thing, you know, we we call it the imposter syndrome. We call it all of these things. You know, I was working with Alison Rose on the Rose Report. You look at it literally as stats, you know, what's happening to men and women versus building businesses and the craziness of the difference there. And you look at women going through the runs or whatever to get to the point on the, you know, the board tables around our country. I mean, it's a massive question, don't get me wrong, but what have you picked up as some common denominators? What is this thing with confidence? Yeah. You know, because it's, is it ever going to really, can you see it changing? It, the more maybe we get flexible, more that there's more squiggle in our careers, the more it feels in tune maybe with us. Maybe everything hasn't felt in tune. I think with with confidence, I think one of the biggest issues is that we sort of talk about it generically, but we don't necessarily talk about it personally. So what I mean by that mm. is we'll, we'll be like, oh, lots of people struggle with their confidence, but we don't make it make it comfortable and safe for people to say, and my confidence gremlin is. Like the more, that's why we say confidence gremlins. It's, it's basically psychology about limiting beliefs, but confidence gremlins makes it feel a bit more real, a bit more tangible, mm -hmm. more like something I could talk about. Even actually when we run our sessions, we get people drawing their gremlins uh, and we do confidence gremlins galleries just, just to normalize this thing to get it out of our own heads mm -hmm. and I think the thing that we've noticed with confidence gremlins a is that everybody has them so actually I, I did a session this morning on this actually with a team an international team and I, they all went into a breakout room to talk about their confidence gremlins and I and I asked them when they came back like I wasn't in all of your conversations so, so let me know how it helped and they said words like, oh, it felt like really liberating. I feel someone said, oh, we've all got the same monsters. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, we, we do. We all, everybody has these gremlins, these beliefs that hold them back. And the more that we can talk about that and understand it and support it, that that's how we start to overcome it. And so, so for example, I have a, a, a confidence gremlin that's really rooted in like a need to be liked, which actually mm -hmm. quite a lot of women have. And mm -hmm. society creates a bit of a context where that gets fed, to be honest, you know, you, girls are brought up to be nice. Mm -hmm. And the way it holds me back, if I can understand that and share it, the way it holds me back is sometimes it stops me being challenging, because I equate in my mind, if I'm too challenging, that's a that's me being difficult. And if I'm being difficult and demanding, then people won't like me. And what I started to recognise and what we encourage people to recognise is how is your confidence gremlin actually getting in your way? So in my career, it would stop me challenging people where they might be saying things I didn't agree with. Or if I had a different perspective, it would stop me speaking up. And as I started to progress in my career, I realised that was holding me back. I wasn't sharing my views and opinions. The, the real crux for me, though, of caging my confidence gremlin came when I realised I was actually holding other people back. Because how could I help the people that work for me if I wasn't confident enough to have a challenging and difficult conversation? How could I make careers better for everybody if I couldn't change the way that things were being done? Mm. And it was that tipping point when I, when I took the awareness of, OK, you, you've got this thing that's getting in your way, but 
I also took the implications of it on me and my career and other people's career that I was like, we now I need to do something different. And I have the tools and I have the support, but we can give people the tools. We can create cultures where there is support. And I think if it's it's when we do that, that we stop this being a statistic and we start it becoming a, a skill. Mm. Yeah, a label. Yeah. It, it is a skill that we can all develop. It's something we all need some support with. Let's just help people normalise this stuff. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's the examples, isn't it, that people then can now, there's so many people nodding their heads, you know. I was thinking about, um, Sarah, what yours would be, it'd be a little monster trying to d- press on a calculator. Do you know it what is. I mean? That would be yeah. your, you know, that that's your sort of thing. And we all have, you know, the wanting to be liked and challenged and that there's, so, there's so many things that I think women hold on to in their careers, if they're building a business, the way we should conduct ourselves, how we should be perceived, bring a lot of people along with you. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's so many times I've, I've said in my career, if I was a man, there's a hundred percent, this would not be happening right this second. You would not, do you know what I mean? It's, it, it would be a different, because so, you feel like you've got this sort of female uh, qualities that are phenomenal for business, but then that is not to stop you, as you said, having a difficult conversation. You know, you're still the same human being, but it's having the confidence, isn't it, to actually say, I don't change personality overnight, guys, just because I've, you know, decided that I don't necessarily agree with that. And I think that that's the point, isn't it? It's the confidence in growing and looking in the future. Do I want to carry that gremlin that thing around with me for the rest of my life. And men, you know, do we want to be talking about imposter syndrome for the rest of our lives? I think, I think we definitely see. I, I would. There are some gremlins that we see that are more significant and appear more frequently for women. But like everyone has gremlins. Men have gremlins too. And I sometimes think the environments that we create at work, like one of the gremlins about people feeling like they don't know enough or they can't ask for help. Like I, I see a lot of men doing that because mm. they they sort of perceive or want to be perceived as an expert. And then that and that gets in their way and all kinds when they yes. don't feel they can get the help and get the support. And it affects all kinds of things, mental health. So the more open we can be about these conversations for when for, for women for men organizations generally i think the better foundation we make for people's future in their career as you know i'm passionate about celebrating small businesses and championing creativity within all of us that's why i'm thrilled to be working with adobe express who each week are handing over their ad break to a small business founder shining a light on their own businesses and sharing how adobe express really is helping fuel their creativity i'm tara chief potion maker at refuge chocolate Yes, I did actually fulfill every childhood fantasy and grew up to have my very own chocolate factory. And here's how it happened. In 2017, when I was volunteering for a modern slavery charity called Flourish NI, I saw a need to help make the charity more sustainable beyond the grant funding. Then, when I was driving along in my car one day, the name Refuge and Hot Chocolate hit me. That's when I began experimenting with hot chocolate recipes. At the time, I didn't drink tea or coffee, but I did have a lot of experience drinking hot chocolate. I don't drink just as much hot chocolate anymore, but I do reach my daily quota of chocolate tasting all our other amazing chocolate products on a daily basis. It's no good just me tasting our amazing products. I need other people too as well. The Adobe Express app helps me get our story of freedom fighting chocolate out there. 
One of my favourite things to do in the app is remove the background from the photos and place them on the pre-designed templates like I'm some branding whiz. You can find the Refuge brand on all the usual social media channels or for happier hormones and happier humans, check out the website to tickle your taste buds, refugechocolate.co.uk. Thank you once more to Adobe who have helped to make this podcast episode happen. If you want to find out more about Adobe Express and how it can help your business, head over to adobe.com slash go slash Holly Tucker. Now let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. When you guys started, you call yourself accidental entrepreneurs. By very nature, the start of your business was a squiggly sort of line, I'm sure. Um, You started with workshops. It led to the podcast. Has this been, and and I, I think, again, maybe when you build a business, do you think that you slightly are, I talk about the business Bible that, you know, we're meant to have swallowed <laughs> and, you know, the business plan, by very nature, the business plan, you know, it's like, wh- what, you write it one day, it is obsolete the second day, you know, it's, but isn't that the ladder almost in the same terms for an entrepreneur? You obviously didn't know what was next coming next necessarily. How have you managed to deal, and I think a lot of people will be listening, with that sort of uncertainty at, yet saddled with possibility? How did you navigate it? I think we navigated that very slowly uh, in a very sort of tortoise rather than hare way. And I think we were good at testing ideas along the way. So I don't, we've got no intention to create a business. And actually, we got asked about it quite a few times as we started to grow, like, why are you not going off to do this? And at the time, the reason we weren't going to do it was because we really enjoyed the jobs we were doing. Um, mm. And very practically, and I think it's really important to talk about money, if we were going to ever run Amazing If, it had to be able to pay our bills from day one. Yes. From day one. So, And we didn't want to get any external investment. We were very clear about that. And so it needed to pay our mortgages. It needed to pay our incredibly high childcare costs. And so there were some yep. very practical, pragmatic things, as well as a, well, is that how we'd want to spend all of our time? We're not quite sure. So instead, rather than worrying, I don't think we worried about building a business. I think we worried about, are we making progress on making careers better for everyone? So do we feel like we're doing a better job of that this month than we were last month? Are our workshops better than they were? Have we got better ideas for action? Are we are more people now listening to the podcast? Are people sharing mm-hmm. that podcast? So I think that was our the lens that we looked at Amazing If through. And also, are we enjoying it? I think people don't talk about that enough. We were yes. having so much fun. I mean, in the early days, neither of us had got kids. We got, so, we got, in hindsight, so much time on our hands. We used to meet up on a Sunday with post-it notes. We were just... I appreciate that might not be everybody's idea of fun, but we had a lot of fun. It is mine. Yeah, I, mean, I, I can might, sort of imagine. I be there with the post-it <laughs> yeah. notes. I am like all over that. Absolutely. So we were, we yeah. were just, we were having fun. We were, I think we were also enjoying the freedom because we got no pressure. It's very different to today mm. where you go, well, we now employ people and, um, it, it, you know, it, it has uh, certainly developed in different directions. And, you know, there were times of incredible uncertainty I joined Amazing If full-time in January 2020, at which point things were looking brilliant. We'd got a number one Sunday Times bestseller. We'd got revenue for the year. It it felt like a very sensible, smart decision. Ten weeks later, the pandemic hit and our revenue disappeared 
within three days. Mm. Like really very, we, we kind of fell off a cliff because we did lots of things at that point in, in person. person yeah. Certainly that was kind of how we, how we made our money. And so, you know, when you sort of think, you know, you could always be waiting for like the right moment or the right time. And I think what I will always feel really grateful for is we could navigate that uncertainty because of some of that um, being quite pragmatic, probably being quite boring. It meant we got enough cash flow for a bit, not for ages, but for a bit to survive. It meant that we could sort of have a bit of a holding pattern where we could do some other things that, you know, kept us front of mind for people, but but we, we were okay. Um, and we could keep thinking in the background about, okay, well, how can we pivot our business? What might that look like? We were obviously then suddenly doing that all virtually. And so I think the that sort of approach of going test and learn, always test and learn, uh, knowing that we are better together. I, I cannot imagine running a business by myself. I just... I mean, firstly, I don't think I'd make any money for a start. Um, there'd, there'd be some challenges with that. But um, but I see, and the more time Helen and I have spent together kind of building Amazing If, I just see how much better it is because there are two of us, because we approach problems in different ways, because we are different mm. people and we've got different strengths and skills. And that's brilliant. They that sometimes causes friction. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think we've got more used to that, uh, which when you're friends for a long time first, getting used to sometimes having friction is took me certainly a bit of getting used to. But it also creates brilliance and it's where we always do our best work. And so when people ask me for advice about starting their own businesses, I always say to people, I'm like, just test and do anything you can do as quickly as you can. Make sure you enjoy it. Make sure there's demand for it. Mm. Make sure you're figuring out whether actually is it something that you'd rather do a little bit on the side. If I was doing this by myself, I think I would rather do it one day a week. That's sort of what I did while I was at Sainsbury's. I sort of was doing something slightly more by myself. Helen and I were let, it was less of a business at that point. And that actually felt like a really good fit for me. When you're doing it together and when we're running a business, I love the fact that this is how I spend the majority of my time now. But it's still really hard. You know, it's still... I talked about it on a podcast. I still had a moment in December where I wanted to hide a duvet for a week. Mm. I'm in my dream job and I still had that moment and I managed to not quite hide under a duvet for a week. But just because in our squiggly careers, there will always be those opportunities and possibilities, but there will also be that uncertainty and change. I think we've got to almost let go of the idea that we can control everything and just think, well, what can I control? What can I own? I can own my learning. I can own developing my skills. I can own putting the right people around me. And I think if you concentrate on those things, then you're you're doing everything that you can. And sometimes something will be left field and hit you out of the blue and it will be hard. That's why I always want Helen by my side. <laughs> oh, it's a love letter here coming on. I can see. Oh. It is. It's an amazing thing, the duo as well. You know, as I was just t- touching on for myself, you know, uh, the yin to the yang and, you know, Sophie could write, rewrite the English dictionary and I would be able to bring people onto Not in the High Street, even though they didn't even know what the internet properly was. You know, it's, it's, it's those couple of, you know, those skills that can come together. And I do always say, you know, it is... For those building something alone, it it can be a lonely job. You know, that duvet feeling potentially was shortened because Helen is there and is that person getting you out of that feeling. And I'm sure vice versa, there are those moments. Do you think that generally when you're looking at the sort of world and and, and building upon your own experiences as, as accidental entrepreneurs... Helen, what have you seen in terms of the future? You know, when you look at 
not saying this is your career. I'm not going to ask you where you're going to be in 10 years time. <laughs> I'm saying generally, Helen, but if you, the amount of workshops and everything that you're doing, the amount of people that you see, the women that you see, trying to understand the new law and order, right? Not life work and balancing and all of this stuff. And it's not going to be always positive. Do you think that we, outside of the how many careers we're going to have and what positions, do you think that there is progress or do you think we've still got a lot of work to do? Um, or oh, a, bit, a bit of both, Holly, which is probably since sounds like I'm sitting on the fence. I definitely think there is there is progress. I think actually the pandemic has created quite a lot of progress. When I think yeah, about agree the, to, to Sarah's point about the kind of equality of the conversation, not everywhere, but in a lot of organisations now, which says actually I know how I want to work now and I feel more confident and able to have that conversation to sort of individualise the way I work. So I think the pandemic has created some of that progress as well as a, a whole host of other other problems, not least economic. Um, but I still think there's a, a long way to go. And I think it, it is organisational and individuals. So we need to create organisations where people can squiggle and stay, to Sarah's point, and that some of that's structural. That's why we're trying to do this mm. thing at the moment where we're, we're doing a, a whole year of experiments with companies all across the world so that we can try and make it easier for organisations to create these squiggle and stay cultures and structures. Um, but it's also about individuals. It's about individuals knowing that no one cares about their career as much as they do and therefore they need to put that effort into it. There isn't a mm -hmm. career development department. It is you and your career. Yes. And that's not fully there yet. So I think the more that we can normalise well, Our that, own mindsets. Yeah. Our own mindsets. Because we do wait, like to my earlier point, every time I had worked for any organisation, the responsibility of where I'm going wasn't my own. I could have the idea, but it was theirs. Mm. They needed to make it happen, not me. You know, I mean, I could ask for it and I want it and I want the pay rise. And I, do you know what I mean? I demand, mm. but I, I didn't necessarily, I hadn't done any deep thinking. I, did, I wasn't trying to say, what will I bring to the table? And I think that that potentially you are seeing a change, but as you said, not enough yeah. yet. I think you can almost see like this tipping point, ease versus effort, where, you know, it used to be quite easy to wait for my company. I'll work hard, I'll go up the ladder. You know, I'll just, I'll just mm -hmm. do that. But now I think... Uh, now that is no longer true, I think there's almost this tipping point where people recognise, well, I do need to put some effort in. And we're just at that, I think, crux. And it's just people, when people, I think, get to that awareness that actually I do need to put some effort in, it is about at that moment giving them the support that they need, like not making it really, really hard for them to find so they feel a bit lost and a bit stranded. Like, if you are ready to put the effort in, let's make it easier for you to know how to do it. And, and it's, mm -hmm. it's that sort of mm -hmm. point that we're trying to meet people at. Mm, absolutely. And how have you both found, you know, you are now, how many years now in? So you started in... 2012 when? was the napkin, the napkin date. <laughs> the napkin date. <laughs> I hope you've got that framed. <laughs> We've got some of that stuff framed, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, so when you yourselves are building your business and you've got children, um, there is uncertainty around us, isn't there? Generally, we, you know, uh, we started SME SOS for the energy crisis yesterday. And, you know, you think what we've gone through from Brexit to the pandemic, to war, to the economy, a new prime minister, not elected. Where are our leaders in our life? Where do we look for inspiration? Nowhere at the moment, as far as I, I can see. And how much can we take? How are you both navigating what you, when you look to the future? Because there is a it is a roller coaster at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I think we we are 
leaning back on the things that have helped to get us here. So, for example, Sarah talked about um, <laughs> we're slightly boring in terms of the amount of like money we keep in the business. <laughs> like we get advice all the time, invest and acquire, put that into this thing. And, and actually we're like, no, 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 we'll keep a safe level of funds, thank you, so that we know we can pay ourselves and everyone in our team for the next 12 months. And that keeps... Oh, that's that my goal, that one. Night. Have you got that yeah. going on? Yes. Because that yes. is my goal. Yes. One yeah. year of salaries in the bank. Yeah. So if anything was to go wrong, I'm so far from it, I cannot even begin to tell you, but it is my goal because if anything goes wrong, we've got a year to figure it through, right? Yeah. Which is roughly what you probably need to change a ship around and all yeah. those sorts of things. Yeah. Congratulations, by the way. That's amazing. So that has been hard work and there's, you know, and and we protect that money despite lots of people saying it's inefficient to do it. And I'm like, well, it helps <laughs> us sleep at night and I consider that to be quite efficient. So, quite efficient, yeah. so we'll, we'll keep that. So there's that sort of stuff. Um, there's also, um, I think we take a lot of confidence in our ability to pivot our proposition, which is a bit marketing sounding like. So what I mean by that is there have been multiple times where Sarah and I have been able to press pause on our business, take a bit of time back, like literally it'll be two days. It's Sarah and me taking two days together, pulling out those post-it notes again <laughs> and going, what has changed? What's working? What's changing? What do we need to do differently? And I think because our business is relatively small, um, we can make those changes. And what we are noticing now is they don't happen overnight. So it used to be a lot quicker to make that stuff happen. But now we employ people and we work with large organisations. It takes a while for the ship to turn, but we can turn it and we will turn it. And I think that being able to press pause and pivot along with the security that we have created in the business in the context of a lot of change and uncertainty gives us quite a lot of confidence. Yeah, such good advice. And this advice, you, you both probably didn't think you were going to be authors. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and you've put, you know, not only have you got your first book, as you're saying, but you've got this second book here. Is that something you enjoy doing? Is that, <laughs> is, or is it one of those things where you just know you've got to do it because you're there to help people. But it, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's fan, absolutely fantastic. And there's all of these, um, uh, you know, I'm just looking at a page here, page 103, my puzzle pieces, you know, putting yourself together again. It's what would you like to be the character of your, you know, your film, all these sorts of things. Is this something that is a, a, for the love so I think we probably have different answers to that question. Um, I think what we both love is the the development of the tools and the ideas for action and all the practicalness that you see in Squiggly Career and You Coach You, which I think is probably even more practical and even better because we learned from the first one what works and what doesn't. And yes. so that development together of you know, shape it, the shape of that book, like what's going to be helpful, um, what might that look like, what are we going to create? So we, we kind of both enjoy that and we enjoy doing that together. The next stage we do slightly differently. So I really enjoy deep, focused work on one thing. So for you, Coach You, for example, I had eight or nine weeks where I did the first drafts pretty much of all of you, Coach You. And I got a massive flip chart and I kind of got all of the chapters that I needed to write, what I needed to do per day, red, amber, green about how I was progressing. And I didn't do a lot else kind of outside of that that time. So one thing really immersing myself. And every time I would finish a chapter, I would send it to Helen 
Helen would essentially red pen it and then we would do a Zoom call, usually between about 9 and 11 p.m., being really honest about when we had to Brilliant. do that thing. What a great, um, great, great time great of the time day, huh, to, to give feedback, like to give feedback to each other. Oh, yeah, yeah. nice, yeah. nice. Not that you're sensitive <laughs> nope. at all because you hadn't been working no. on it all day, so, right? And that everyone's tired, kids to bed, da-da-da-da. You've got it. Domestic chores, emotional uh, labour yep. done. Yep. Now let's do something like this. Yep. So that is exactly how we wrote You Coach You. Now, lots of the time, that did work really well. So I enjoyed that kind of first iteration. I like that deep work. Helen is much more like, right, I want to get through multiple things. I want to get through lots of tasks. And that, that gives her lots more kind of energy. And so then her just being able to kind of very almost neutrally and objectively go, that's brilliant. That's not all great. Until... <laughs> Until we got to the relationships chapter. So there's a chapter in You Coach You on relationships, the importance of the people. But kind of where we started today's conversation, the people you've got around you in your career, your career community. And the way that we wrote that chapter for some reason, and we were like three quarters of the way through the book at this point. So we got quite an established rhythm is for some reason that chapter nearly broke us. I wrote one version of that chapter. Helen read it, obviously wasn't happy. So what she thought she'd do is write, another version of that chapter I get it back from and think I'm not happy so what I would do was ignore that and then write a different version of that chapter and then one how ironic oh I know and then one morning I woke up um Helen is a morning person I am an evening person and I woke up one morning to so many whatsapp messages about this chapter and really had to take and, and took a deep breath and I think very luckily had to go and drop my son off at nursery that morning. And usually I'd drop him off and go and get a coffee. And so I didn't reply. I sort of took a deep breath, sort sort of almost ignored it because I'd sort of got other stuff, went and got a coffee. And then we had a chat about it and, and we kind of found our way through it. But I think that was almost our, do you know what? I think it was kind of our tipping point of we'd been working on it for a long time. Actually, the fact we were three quarters mm. of the way through was probably a bad thing because we were mm. tired. We'd invested loads in it. You know, we'd still got a business to run, which wasn't the same when we wrote Squiggly Career. We didn't really have a business to run when we wrote Squiggly Career. Yes. So we were doing yes. all these different things. And do you know, I think the thing that saved us, well, two things I think saved us. As Helen says, you've always got to fix friction fast. So we called it really quickly and talked to each other. Yeah. And um, we laughed about it. And I think that's really important. You've got to be able to, you've got to be able to laugh at yourself and each other. And I think we actually just, we just laughed and we were like, we can't, we can't break up over a relationship chapter. It's too ironic. The irony. (laughs) You're like, you can't, this can't be it, Helen. We can't. And actually just laughing, not taking ourselves too seriously, kind of doing that whole thing of like, you know, sometimes you've just got to zoom out, get perspective. It's just a chapter. It's fine. And what's so funny is it meant that we had to, I had to write to our, to Penguin and say, we're going to be a bit late because we've not sorted this chapter. It's not the quality that we want. We're going to start again. And what's so funny is almost what had stopped us doing that before was thinking, we can't do that. We can't ask for that extra time. We we commit to our deadlines and we meet our deadlines. I wrote this email to Penguin saying, it's really important to us that the quality is consistent. So we're going to start again on this chapter. They came back and they were like, yeah, no problem. You're pretty much the only people anyway who stick to the deadlines. And we were like, oh. Oh, my God. There's a couple of things I want to say here. So number one, we share publishers. Number two, I was, and again, I think this comes with the female side. I, I do have to think this, you know. Sticking to those deadlines, getting gold stars mm. in my mind. Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. I am going to yep. do this right and I am going to do the. And as you said, I had exactly the same conversation <laughs> where basically they said, you do understand no one 
has yeah. <laughs> ever in my career given things on time and you've done it basically consistently. Mm. And so, uh, number one, I do my muddly wiggle, like my dog's bottom mm. and everything, like thinking how brilliant. But I had busted balls. As I said, you know, I was doing my chapters at five o'clock in the morning to six because I had SMESOS because I wrote it in the pandemic and then had a full day every day going live with everybody. So my breakfast or five till six was writing. And so... Number one, that isn't that a funny sort yeah. of trait that we're all sharing there? You know, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. No one's ever done that. And by the way, just take a couple of weeks. Who cares? It doesn't yeah. matter. And you guys are like, I'm going to write this very formal email. But also, I would just say before that, you know what? That is so refreshing, I have to say, to have that story, Sarah, in terms of actually you saying that. Because there's so many times that we... Don't we? We put out there, especially if we're business partners, you know, this is rosy. It's all great. If I talk about friction, if I talk about anything, is that a crack? Mm. Is that something that people will perceive to be a negative? My career, my professionality, myself again. I think we hold ourselves to these standards. You know, there's no blazing rouse. There's no, do you know what I mean? I wouldn't dare anyone think that I would raise my voice or, you know, there's so many subconscious standards that we are holding into ourselves but you just saying that's what happened yeah. you know that's what happened and I love that fix friction fast yeah the three f's that you know absolutely fantastic but it is the reality of all of this business is hard yeah you know trying to write a book on top of your career it is hard, you know, having two people tired at 10.30 at night with all the shit that's gone on in the day <laughs> Right. You you, you don't realise, but you're just subconsciously each other's punching bag, potentially, yeah. because actually yeah. it's fucking hard what you're doing. But it was so refreshing because I think we don't talk about these frictions, you know, that do happen. It's not going to break us. It doesn't mean we're divorcing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means we're striving potentially to be better. You know, that basically your common goal there was to make the best relationship chapter wasn't yeah. it yeah and I do I think I felt the most proud of any moment after UKHU where uh, spontaneously someone emailed us and said how important that relationships chapter had been for her career and it this is like, um God for this that. was a CEO of a company of a, a massive company a family company it started small and they're really big now wow and she said it's really helped me to understand why a relationship with someone on the board um wasn't quite working and now I've I've understood I've had a different kind of conversation and I thought I'm so proud of us mm. I did made me feel really proud I'm really proud that we didn't just take the easy option back to Helen's point about ease versus effort we made the choice that was took way more effort and it did take a deep breath it would have been way easier to be like it's good enough and I was like no mm. not not for a book that we want every chapter to be brilliant and to help people to help themselves and I would never have felt good if we'd have just taken the easy option um so I think after the past couple of years with all the things that everything has like external has thrown at us when people sort of say oh do you ever worry about what would happen if like you and Helen sort of fell fell out? I'd just say no, because I, I know that we have had really, really tough moments now. And I know mm. that we found our way through them. So it's the thing I feel mm. most confident about. There are loads of other things that feel really challenging. But the thing that I do know is that we can do hard things and we should feel confident and, and good about that. So beautiful. I, I When you build a business, you are a partnership. 
and you are a partnership that can last longer than marriages. And I used to call Sophie my work husband. And you judge me, my Carrie is my actual sister at Holly and Co, but Gabby isn't, but they are my sisters. You know, there is a, there is a, it's a very, if you do find someone, which I can see in both of you to travel this course with, it is quite a unique, magical, spiritual mm. thing because you're literally witnessing each other's growth. You're witnessing each other's deepest, darkest uh, weaknesses that you would perceive or your, do you know what I mean? And you might not want to show that to anybody else, but you're showing it to each other. And it's just a beautiful thing. God, I could talk to you forever, but we are coming towards the end of this podcast. And I wanted to firstly, thank you for building what you're building. It's, you know, these are fundamental steps, I would say, in progression. I'm very interested in women, women's progression in careers. I'm all about small businesses and being an entrepreneur. All of those skills that you can learn from your books and things like that can be taken in. But I know there is a vast majority of women who are in corporate worlds, who are looking to break things, to challenge themselves, to grow. And thank crikey, <laughs> you're doing what you're doing and spending your you know, your time up until retirement, not that we will be retiring. Yeah. I reckon we'll be with our post-it notes. Do, are you kidding me? It's just like, that'll be forever. Tell me, in your roller coaster, you're, you're literally a squiggly career roller coaster, which is more of a roller coaster, you know, symbol than I've ever interviewed in 160 interviews. Um, what would you say, Sarah, has been one of your lowest moments? I think my lowest moment was after I had my son, Max, who's now five, and... After fir the first three to four months after having him, I had decided just before going on maternity leave that I was going to leave Sainsbury's at that, at that time. And so I, and that felt like a smart decision. That was a very active decision. I was very much in control of that decision. Um, Max was uh, poorly, but not in a serious way. He had something called acid reflux. That meant he was sick a lot. And I hated being at home. Mm -hmm. I found it very difficult. And I couldn't really leave home that often because he was sick so often. So every time I tried to leave, he'd be sick everywhere, like sick on me, sick on him. And so I felt very lonely, really isolated, and I really missed work. And I remember my partner going back to work after two weeks, because at that point, there was no paternity leave particularly, and financially, we needed him to. And I remember feeling jealous and thinking, I, I want to go back to work. But I opted out of that, thinking that was a really smart decision. What was I thinking? And that was a really hard time for me in my in my kind of squiggly career. And I, I include that as part of my career because all of those things kind of come together. Mm -hmm. um, and I, the things that helped me during that time was was asking for help. Um, interestingly, Helen and I didn't talk a lot during that period. And I think that made it harder for me. Helen had also just had her second baby only a couple of months mm. before me. So she kind of got her own thing going on. I kind of got in the my own. Of this. Yeah. Mm. And we weren't running Amazing If particularly. We'd sort of, we, you know, it was there in the background. But we'd sort of press pause kind of momentarily. And I think I, I very quickly and quite dramatically lost a lot of who I was and what was important to me in a way that I had never experienced before. So it felt very unfamiliar. Very scary. Um, and I was, yeah, I was very lost and very scared. And actually, it's interesting. What was most useful for me in that moment was actually people like Anna Whitehouse, Mother Pucker, on Instagram. Yes. I discovered Anna, um, who I now know, at that moment. And, you know, sometimes what you need and who you're inspired by doesn't have to be people that you know. It just has to be people who you feel have a shared 
experience. Um, and so some of, some other things helped me during that time, but it was it but it was just hard. It was just a hard time. Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of people that um, empathise with that. And Helen, what about you? Um, I think mine uh, would be an experience I had with a particularly bad for me manager. And I don't, I don't want to say that they were a bad manager. They were a bad manager for me. And um, I think that the chemistry between us was wrong. <laughs> and I think that the impact that that manager had on my confidence was something that I hadn't really experienced before. I strove to just, I, I was like, I'll just work harder. I'll just do more. I'll just try and do better. And I think I wanted so much to please that manager and to to be the person that they thought they needed in their team that it just really affected my own confidence and my own ability. And it took, yeah, it took a really, I remember um, I was talking to my husband about it and he was like, this person sounds like a kind of caricature that you've created. Like it took somebody else almost saying this situation sounds unreal because I was in it and it felt overwhelming and difficult and it was causing all kinds of stress and sort of explaining to someone who was outside of that world of work that I was in going, this whole situation just sounds like like kind of some kind of comic book. And I was like, oh, actually... It does. This is ridiculous. What am I? Yes. What am I doing? What? What? What have I got myself into? And it, and just having that perspective helped me to make some quite significant changes. Have some difficult conversations, but I had to kind of get out of my world and get a little bit out of my own head in order to see what was going on in that situation and do something about it. But when I was in it, it felt really hard, and I empathised so much. When people, I hear a lot about people who have very tricky relationships with managers, and. I see how it affects their confidence yes. and I just want to hold their hand a little bit and pull them out and and say, this isn't about you. It's probably more about them. Don't try to please them and become what they want you to do. Like run your own race and leave them to do their thing. And if, if we could help more people to do that, I hope they won't be quite in the same situation that I was in for quite as long as I was in it for. Yeah, I think there's going to be, again, a lot of people nodding furiously at this point in time, hoping someone's going to pull them out and give them a shake and just let them know this is not OK for the future. What would you say when you say um, if on that roller coaster, your highs, is there a shared joint high that you would say that you've had together as business partners, a moment where you almost, you know, if you were in the cart, you'd hold each other's mm -hmm. hands and give it a little squeeze that only you two know you're squeezing each other's hands. What do you think, Sarah? I would probably say doing our TED talk at Abbey Road Studios. But wow. do you know what? Maybe not, maybe not that moment. Maybe it was the day where because we were practicing, rehearsing in COVID, do you know the moment I think it would be is when it was chucking it down with rain. We had to meet in a park, a really cold park in January, underneath with these giant coats with on. big coats on, with a camera. We couldn't get close to each other because we weren't allowed to. And we'd got oh uh, a camera filming us to try and practice, the two of us. Uh, we were in a bandstand covered in graffiti and there were little grannies walking past with their dogs going, oh, what are you doing, dear? And we were like, oh, we're just practising for this presentation. And I think as much as I, the Abbey Road studio, like the TED Talk, I'm so, I'm so proud of that. And that's definitely a moment of joy that we shared. I think I will always remember more the going to that car park and standing in that park freezing, trying to desperately remember this TED talk that was that was so important to us because it was us sort of sharing squiggly with the world and and we really hoped that it was going to really help to, you know, lots of people to watch that and to kind of discover squiggly for the first time. And we were sort of just shivering in like massive like duvet coats, basically. 
Would you say that, Helen? Is that a, a fond memory? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's fond is a funny word. It's a memorable memory. Yeah, yeah I, 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 yeah. It's a. I think it's just that point about sometimes being able to connect at the level that Sarah and I can with each other mm. because of the friendship and the business that we run and sort of laugh at a situation. And that was quite, for us, that was a significant, serious moment in our careers to be able to do that TED talk, but just to be able to look back and up. And I, because because it was on my camera that we were recording, I have that. Oh no. And of the little dog, <laughs> of the little dog. And I would share it, Sarah, but I look dreadful. <laughs> so it's, it's staying on my phone. <laughs> it's staying in the same. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and again, my heart is aching over the memories I too share with business partners and and that actually you sort of you know you'll have that forever when you're older ladies Mm -hmm. and you look back there will always be the bandstand and do you remember Mm -hmm. and you know that's something that it's it's we normally liken to love when we're in a partnership at home but there is actual real love when it comes to our business partners as well we've come to the end of this podcast and this is the time where I'm going to ask you both I haven't done a partnership in a long time actually. I'm going to ask who would like to go first in reading their letter to their younger self. Oh, I don't, I don't mind, Helen. Do you have a preference? Shall I go? I've got, I've got okay. my notes We've, in front we've of not me. shared yeah. these with each other, Holly, so we're also hearing them for Ooh. the first time. Oh, wow. This is fantastic. Helen, over to you. Dear Helen, I'm talking to you as I, you, we approach 40, and I know that will seem ancient and a lifetime away, but I've learned a few things in the years between where you are now and where I am today, and in the hope of your future happiness, there are some words of wisdom I want to share. Let's start with your mum. Be kind to her. You'll rebel and you'll overreact, but then you'll get older and realise just how much she did for you. There will be a time when you are leaving a relationship and she'll be the one to fund your freedom. There'll be a time when your baby just won't sleep and you are beside yourself with tiredness and she'll be the one to stay up all night so you don't have to. There'll be a time when you want to celebrate the success of your book and she'll be the one you want to call first. It's so easy to be critical of a parent, but never forget to show your mum the kindness that she has shown to you and hope that one day your children might realise the same thing too. Now, let's talk about your impact. At work, you'll be called an enthusiastic puppy, amongst other things, and it will make you doubt yourself. You'll try to be serious. You'll wear a suit to come across as more senior, and you'll even buy something that resembles a briefcase. (laughs) Know that all you'll really succeed in is becoming not very you. A career of conformity is not your calling. You have more individual and squiggly things ahead. So... Wear your bright clothes on grey days. Bring the energy and enthusiasm when the people are feeling flat. Move things forward fast even when other people think they will fail. And be 100% okay with running your own race. It's much more fun anyway. Finally, let's talk about friendship. It really, really matters. But stop looking for that one best friend. In reality, your best friends will bring different things at different times. Some will listen and give you their advice because they've seen you grow up and they know you intimately. Some will make you laugh when you need it most and provide the perspective you need to get your priorities right. Some will inspire and challenge you and help you to learn about everything you can be. And on that point, 
know that there will be a person you meet at university. She'll be a different kind of friend. You won't see it at first, but she will be a defining part of your future and become one of the most important people in your life. Together, you'll help millions of people with their careers and your friendship will be the foundation for it all. Side note, it turns out that you both like tea and cake, so it's a pretty good place to get started. But in short, be kind, be enthusiastic, go and find your friends and squiggle your own way to success. Mm. Oh, <laughs> I love that. It's so good. Oh, it's so beautiful. Gosh, I just have this love for you both, by the way, right now. It's just such a beautiful thing. Thank you for sharing that. Pleasure. Over to you, Sarah. Well, mine's slightly different, so let's see. <laughs> Dear Sarah, your teenage years will feel hard at times. So I hope this letter gives you both comfort and confidence whenever you need it. You are growing up in the 90s. And I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but you will never have hair like Jennifer Aniston and you will never be as thin as Kate Moss. So stop trying. I know that you love friends, but it doesn't reflect real life and pictures in magazines are airbrushed and photoshopped. No amount of sit-ups will give you abs like Elle McPherson. So give yourself and your body a break and do something that you enjoy instead. Your brain can be put to much better use than counting calories. The fact that you like your own company is rarer than you realise and you don't need to apologise for sometimes preferring books to people. This will feel hard in the playground and at parties. But don't panic if you don't feel like you fit in. You will be fine, more than fine. Sometimes it just takes a while to find your tribe. But don't worry, I promise they exist and they will be worth waiting for. Your ambition is brilliant. Do not let other people squash it or tell you that it's a bad thing. Be ambitious for yourself and for what you can achieve. It will be way more than you realise. Recognise that your love of winning comes from the doing, not the finishing. The high of a win wears off pretty quickly and you will always be a work in progress. And keep your eye out for the curse of comparison. Life is not a competition against other people and a wise person will once say to you, run your own race. Say yes to as many opportunities as you can, even if they scare you. Your yes experiences are where you learn the most, about yourself and other people. It's how you figure out when you're at your best and worst, and how you discover you can do more than you imagine. Finally, there's no formula for a successful life. So in the words of that much-listened-to Fleetwood Mac album that your parents love, and that you secretly love too, you can go your own way. P.S. I know your sisters might seem a bit annoying as you grow up, but they honestly become your best friends. So that's something to look forward to. Oh, <laughs> you know what? I can just see why you two are the way that you both are in terms of your relationship and what we're now witnessing in the company that you're building. It is a really, really beautiful thing to witness and to listen to and to read. And I can only imagine what the future is going to hold. And we're going to look back at you two, you know, as women in, in life and know that you fundamentally started changing the way that we were thinking. And that's a pretty cool thing to say that you did and that's certainly what you're doing so thank you both for joining conversations of inspiration thank you holly thanks so much holly 
Before you go, don't forget to head to adobe.com slash go slash Holly Tucker to find out how Adobe Express can fuel creativity in your business. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co. 